listening to Foundry Church's weekly podcast, where our singular focus is to help people know, follow, and share Jesus. Our hope is that today's message would help you to encounter the living Christ in a new and transformative way. Morning. There we go. I want to um, welcome some friends. We got a little surprise visit. Kofi, will you come up front, up here? Do you mind? Um, Kofi Niles is a bishop of Guyana, of the Methodist Church in Guyana, and one of our strategic partners um, around the world. We have partners in ministry, and Kofi and his his beautiful family showed up this this week, last week, a couple weeks ago. And uh, we were blessed by, always blessed. If you know Kofi, you know it's a blessing. Always welcome, <laughs> Kofi. And um, just, uh, you know, we have a partnership and, um, and get to participate in ministry there and recently did a project and right. sent a bunch of chairs down um, to, from here, <laughs> from the chairs when, when we redesigned the space that you used to sit in are now in Guyana and around um, the churches that he serves. And so we're grateful for that, but we're also grateful for the ways that he blesses us because you deepen our faith and our trust in the Lord and the joy that he brings in the way that he serves. So I just wanted to, before I got started, just recognize him and pray over him. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for Kofi, for his family, for the ministry that he has, and just for this time for them to be away and uh, to be filled with your spirit and to be renewed. And I pray, your, your, Lord, your strength for the important work that you have for them there and for the people in the churches and for your work to continue to advance there. Uh, Lord, we pray your blessing on them. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Thank you. All right, so we're in the middle of this series. We're looking at the rooted life and what it looks like to live a rooted life and all of the places through scripture that we find this imagery of a, a tree planted by streams of water, deeply rooted, that in season bears fruit, that is nourished, but also provides, like fruit is the imagery of blessing others, of being fruitful and multiplying and life-giving, right? And uh, this is found all through scripture, uh, many places, it's actually found in unexpected places that you might not even be that familiar with, like the prophets. There's this big chunk of scripture in the Old Testament that we tend to skip over a lot of times because it's a little confusing and bewildering and there's, there's a lot in it that's hard. In fact, our Bible 365 community, if you don't know, we have uh, started this year a community that's reading through the Bible in a year and we have a plan and there are four different times in the year that you can jump in. One of those times is actually coming up on September 4th, so I thought I'd just mention this as a little plug. There's an informational meeting coming up. You can go to the website and find the information. You need to come to that meeting or let us know and we'll tell you the next steps, but we'd love for you to join. These new groups will start reading September 4th. I know some of our folks, we've had like 200 people sign up for the Bible 365. Many um, are reading along and keeping up. Some may have, if you're one of those that's fallen behind, September 4th is a great time. We're going to move out of the prophets, back into the gospel of John. It's going to be a little easier. Um, but Ezekiel, I wanted to mention that, but Ezekiel is what our Bible 365 community has been reading recently, and it's been 
It's been good, it's been challenging, but I wanted to, uh, I wanted to unpack because as we've read, I realized there's this beautiful story and there's some of this imagery that you might not necessarily see right off, off the bat. Um, Babylon was, uh, or, or the prophets, and Ezekiel in particular lived in a time when the Babylonian empire, uh, this powerful force came and took the people of Israel into exile. In fact, the prophets had been warning of this, that if Israel, if the people of God didn't turn back to God, turn away from their idolatry, um, from their adulterous ways, if they didn't turn back to God, that, that, that he was going to allow them to be taken into captivity. And this is what happens in Ezekiel's life. They get um, taken off to Babylon, and Ezekiel is actually uh, in training. He's young, and he's training to be a priest, and he is taken. He's part of the first exile, and he writes the book. Right up front, he says that he writes what, these words on his 30th birthday, which is significant because uh, what we know is that the, that would have been the time that he would have been installed as a priest in Jerusalem, and he's not in Jerusalem. Um, and so he's lamenting how life hasn't gone the way that he expected. He's lamenting what might have been different, and he's, it even says that he's sitting on the bank of an irrigation canal as he's writing these words, and he's looking, and I can't imagine, at, he's, on, he's part of an Israeli refugee camp looking at this river, and he's sitting on the bank and lamenting of life and imagining, I think he's imagining uh, what the psalmist saw, right? He had longed to be like the tree that was planted by streams of water, but he wasn't in that moment experiencing it, and yet God gives him some beautiful words, some words of warning, but some words of hope for the future of a God who is gracious. And he says this right up front in verse one. He sets the tone, and he says that the heavens, this is what he sees, the heavens were open, and I saw visions of God. It's revealed to him who God is, and he's going to go on. And there's a lot in the book that's hard to make sense of, but if you, if you pay attention, the, the visions that he relays play a crucial role in, in, in this message that he wants to deliver. And so what I wanna do is walk through four of the visions, and they're the four main visions through the book that tell us something about who God is and what he's up to and, and what that does and what, how that matters to us. The first vision, he says he saw the glory of God, that the first vision, this huge storm cloud approached in a cloud, and he sees uh, four strange creatures, each with these faces. It says their faces look like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being, and on the right side, each had the face of a lion, on the left side, an ox, and each also had the face of an eagle. Pretty rad stuff, right? Like weirdo, right? I mean, like what's going on? Um, well, there's a lot of symbolism in these images. And actually later on, after Jesus died, was resurrected, and the early church um, start, started to identify in certain parts of scripture, and particularly in Ezekiel, there are other places as well, these images that are a revelation of the Messiah who would come that these characters represent different qualities. Or, and, and we're actually, we're having a Bible lab, part of, uh, this is open to everybody, but it's part of our Bible engagement goal for the year. Bible labs are in-depth studies. We're doing one Tuesday on the Gospels. 
And so if you wanna kind of nerd out on this a little bit more, you can come Tuesday. I don't have time to go into it in detail, but I would love for you to register and come Tuesday night. We're gonna talk about, though, how the Gospels and the four different accounts or portraits of Jesus each in a unique way fulfill these images that Ezekiel sees in this vision. Uh, Matthew's gospel is the human, he's, Jesus is the son of man, it's, the hum, it's, it's really centered on Jesus's humanity and how God became one of us in the incarnation. That Mark's gospel is a lot like the lion because he's like everything is now and immediately and everything is like get in or get out, right? I mean, the, the kingdom is at hand, let's go. And then um, in Luke's gospel, he portrays Jesus as that beast of burden, as the, the sacrificial lamb, as the one who carries the weight of the world and dies for our sin and is raised to life. John's gospel, I always say John is kind of like the George Lucas gospel. It's like the Star Wars version. It's, it's a very different account. It's, it's grand. It's cosmic. It's like how, the, how Jesus fulfilled all of humanity's need for redemption. And so we see these images that are all pointing to Jesus and the presence of God, the glory of God, because Ezekiel says this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. Jesus is God's glory, and glory really means that something is heavy and significant. It describes the physical manifestation of God's, of God's character. And so Jesus is a full fulfillment of that. What we're seeing in this vision, though, is um, he says that I saw the likeness of the glory of God, and when I saw it, I fell down, I fell face down, and I heard a voice of one speaking. And the word goes on to describe what is is taking place in Ezekiel's time, and what and what Ezekiel sees is these four creatures, right? And there's this platform, and they're holding this heavenly being that's described. And and Jesus, uh, I mean Ezekiel says that this figure, this glowing figure was a manifestation. He knew that this was the glory of God, that God's presence, listen, that this was, an, it, this was God's presence. This vision, what he was seeing was the presence of God like in the temple, okay? And, and remember, the Babylonians come and eventually they destroy the temple of God and the temple is representative of the, it's the place where the presence of God is with the people of God, okay? And so this physical place becomes a, a representation of Eden and what God created and designed humanity to experience, which was this. Listen, I know there's a lot here, but listen to this. God created us to know him and to know his presence and to walk with him and experience this life that's deeply rooted in him. And what happened in the fall back in Genesis and what happened again with the Israelites was that when they turned their back on God, what Ezekiel sees is the presence of God leaving the temple and being, and all of a sudden the presence of God is in Babylon of all places. And this is a very, listen, this is a very, for, for Ezekiel and, and for the implications, like if we translate it into our life, this is a very, a very disturbing image, right? It catches his attention. When God's presence, because of our sin and our disobedience, God's presence leaves, that we are dead in sin, okay? But the story hasn't ended, and what, as Ezekiel goes on to write, he sees other visions, and these other visions start to bring hope to what is a, 
a, a situation that seems hopeless. And the second vision is in Ezekiel 34. Okay, so hold on to these images. They're gonna make sense, hopefully, at the end. Ezekiel sees in the second image this huge valley that's filled with dry human bones, skeletons. God tells him that it's an image of Israel's spiritual state. It's an image of our spiritual state, apart from God's presence. That when, when, we, when we turn our back on God, when we think that we can do life our, our own way, that it always leads to death. And this is an image of that. This is a metaphorical and a literal image, or a literal death. And God tells, though, Ezekiel that his spirit is gonna be, uh, that's gonna come upon these bones. And that's exactly what happened. A wind comes upon them. God breathes on them and causes the bones to stand up and they're filled with breath and they start to regrow skin and the skeletons start to become human beings. And this is what, you know, the first song we sang about is God who does this work of raising dead things to life. And so the first, the first vision that Ezekiel sees, if I, if I summarize it, it's really how death comes when we turn our back on God. And the second vision is how God, though, in his graciousness and in his, in his grace and in his mercy, comes to bring life even in death. And so this is, this is a call to turn back to God for the Israelites. And we see this in Jesus. Jesus does this work. Jesus shows up, and this is what he does. This is what the resurrection means, is that we have a God who brings life to dead places. But the next vision presents a reality that sometimes is hard for us to grasp. And in, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, there's this vision that describes the arch enemy of God. So there's this, this enemy of God, this enemy that's against God and against, listen, against God's work and what God wants to do. Against what God wants to do by raising dead things and giving them life, by giving us life, by establishing us as trees, like trees planted by streams of water. The, 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 there's this king who is a personification of all of the powers of this world and the spiritual forces of evil. He's named Gog, and he's the king of Magog. He's not a literal king. This is, this is a personification. Listen, it's, it, it, Hebrew readers would have known to go back to Genesis 10. Their minds would have been drawn back because there are all these stories of these ancient kings and, and their appetite for power, for money, for sexual conquest, that their greed and their thirst for more was part of why the whole world descended into chaos after, after Cain and Abel, after the fall, after Adam and Eve and their rebellion against God, that the whole world was thrown into chaos. And ultimately, there, be, there became these powers. And so Gog represents, listen, he's, he's a manifestation of all of these powers of evil and the forces that work against what God wants. So, so personalize this. Listen, when we turn to God, when we, we, we admit that we've, that we've made a mess of life, but we turn to God, his grace is sufficient, right? That he pulls us out of 
the valley of, of dead bones and he breathes life into us again. He brings us new life. But you know what will happen? What will happen when you decide to follow Jesus in that way is not that the road becomes smooth and everything becomes perfect, but making that choice will often mean that the enemy doesn't, is not happy and will do things to try to, to try to prevent God's work from coming about in your life or in our world, that there, there are forces working against God. And sometimes it can feel like, and we read this all through scripture, it can feel like those enemies are so much greater, that the circumstances in our lives seem insurmountable. And we even wonder sometimes where God is in all of this. And the Israelites had to be thinking that as well. They, they were warned, right? But as they're carried into exile, they have to be thinking, what about, where is God right now? What is, does God care about our situation? And we may ask the same question, but listen, in this vision, what we see, in this dream, God resists God's plan to restore his people, but just like Pharaoh in Egypt and just like all the other times that powerful rulers are overcome by God, in the same way, God is consumed by an earthquake and fire and his armies are beat down in the fields. And God shows his power. Listen, God shows his power over all the forces of this world that may seem like they're winning here and now. That he says, I've already won the battle. We just sang about that, right? That's what we're singing. When we sing that song, what we're saying is that there will be trouble in this life, but the way to overcome the trouble in this life is by remembering who wins in the end and turning to him. And so as we do this, we receive hope and we receive this, this peace of knowing that God is with us and, 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 and this reassurance that, you know, listen, do not believe. One of the enemy's deception, deceptions, I believe, is to make us believe that if we say yes to Jesus, then everything should go perfectly right in our lives. And that's just not the reality. Eventually, we will face hardship. That's never the promise of God. The promise of God is that he will overcome in the end. And he will even use us. Listen, he will even use your pain. He will use your, your hardship. He will use your challenges to be a witness to the world. Because the world's longing to know this reality of living in God's presence, whether they know it or not. They're, they're longing for this life to be breathed into dead places. And this is the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful vision, the fourth vision that, that Ezekiel receives. Okay, so you're with me, right? We got a vision of God's presence leaving because of sin and rebellion. We got a vision of dry bones being raised to life again. We got a vision then of the enemy of God who will not win in the end. And finally, Ezekiel is given this fourth and final vision uh, from chapter 40 through 48. It's a long section. Uh, but these, all these things come full circle and we see that everything that was lost in the Garden of Eden will be restored again. Ezekiel is given this, this heavenly tour around a new temple. Remember, the temple would be destroyed. And, and this, this new temple was, again, representative of more than just a physical, it's not a church building, right? This is representative of God, uh, his presence with his people and human flourishing. That, that it, it says that 
one day that they will return in the temple, this, this, this is really pointing to Jesus, that Jesus would restore what was lost in Eden. And, and Ezekiel's given this heavenly tour around this temple complex that's, more, that's larger and more magnific- magnificent than the old temple or anything that he's ever seen. And so as, as he's being led around, it says, he says in verse one of chapter 47, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple. And very quickly, this, this, this river, this stream, this little trickle out of the temple, catch this imagery, okay? I know, I know it's a little challenging to understand what's going on if you're just reading this, but I wanna... I want us to understand what's, what this message is intended to remind us of. Because it says that this little river, this little um, bit of water that's coming out of the threshold of the temple quickly became like a raging river. And this raging river flow, uh, flowed out of the temple, listen, into the city. This is where life The presence of God is not bound up in some religious place, but the presence of God, his healing waters, his life-giving waters. Remember Jesus said, I have living water to offer you. Is now flowing through the city and it flows down into the valley and it flows to a place that we still know today, the Dead Sea. How many of you, anybody been to the Dead Sea? We have some people that have been on a Holy Land trip. Okay, we still have a couple spots left for February. You can go there, okay? It's, it's, it's remarkable when we visit the Dead Sea because it is the most desolate place on earth. I mean, it is dead, literally. Nothing can survive in its waters because of the sailing content is so high. Uh, it, they, 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 the water flowed out of the temple down into the valley, into this place of the grave, into this barren place, into this salty place, this wilderness that is totally inhospitable to life. Friends, does that sound like our world sometimes? All you have to do is turn on the news and you see a lot of the Dead Sea. And the water from the temple of God's presence flows into this wilderness, into this dead place. And it says that as the river advances, it it, it left behind. Wherever the river went, there was this trail of, of vegetation, of lush vegetation, and there were trees, sound familiar, on either side of the river, on the banks, that were nourished, that were rooted, but but they were rooted, and Ezekiel says this, he says, when he led me back to the bank of this river, when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on either side of the river, and as the water flowed eastward, it went into the Dead Sea, and there were swarms of living creatures in the Dead Sea, and the salt water became fresh. But he goes on to say this, fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river just like in the garden. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail, but every month they will bear fruit because the water, listen, the water 
The water from the sanctuary flows to them. They don't have to come to the temple. The temple's going to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Listen, in this grand conclusion, we see God's, God's intent for our lives. That we are to be rooted, and we talked about this, being rooted in the church is so important. It's so important to be in community and to serve so that this place becomes a place where lives are transformed. And I don't mean by this, the building, I mean by this people. But, but friends, God hasn't intended for this, this living water just to be trapped up in here. God hasn't intended for the blessings in our lives just to be trapped up in here, to be enjoyed by you and me. I mean, he wants living water to flow outward into our community. That's why we pray over our kids today. Not just that they'll be safe, we want them to be safe, yes, but I want them to be dangerous, to be on mission for Jesus where they are, to change our schools by the way that they, they love the students around them, that's so why we pray for our teachers and our administrators who are facing even more difficult situations to be teachers and to lead schools because they are on the front lines of mission. And God will pour his blessing out upon us, but he'll pour his blessing out through us as well. And this is why we, it, we enacted kind of this new acronym. I just wanna remind you last summer of this, this acronym and I wanted this reminder to serve as a prompt for us as we go back to school to think about how we do exactly what Ezekiel saw. Allow the river of God to, throw, to flow in us but to flow out from us and, and into the world and bless the world and make this world look a whole lot more like heaven. This acronym is, is how we invest. Because listen, it's one thing to show up to a mission trip or a serve day. Our hope is so much more. Our hope is that you're equipped to live on mission wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you study, wherever you play. That's your mission field. Go. And so this acronym goes like this. Pray first. Pour starts with prayer. Everything starts with prayer. Praying and listening, asking God to show us where he's at work around us, and then being ready to move where he leads us. And then offer, offer invitations to relationship. What people need is, is people for, where this starts, what people need is the living water and the living water flows through us but it always starts by, by it, it starts at the pace of Jesus. What was Jesus' pace for ministry? Sure, there were crowds around but Jesus' pace for, for real ministry, long-lasting ministry, rooted ministry was one relationship at a time. We can all do that, Right? Whether it's a coworker or a neighbor, offer invitations to relationship. Get to know people. One of the, one of the dark and ugly sides of, you know, we've been talking about hypermobility and our ability to be, uh, to travel and to be uprooted and to leave and when things get hard. Listen, one of the hard, one of the dangers, one of the dark sides, the ugly sides of hypermobility is that we, we have the capacity, we have the ability to just keep things on a very surface level, to never really go deeper in relationship. And when we do this, what happens is we lose the ability, listen, to love specifically. If the gospel, if this is the gospel, what we've talked about, 
that we are a rebellious people, that we've turned from God, and yet God, through his grace, comes to us and raises dead things to life, and he gives you and I life, and when we step into life, there will be enemies, but he has overcome them, and he wants to flow through us and for his river of life to flow through us. If this is the gospel, it's all pointing us to Jesus. Jesus is the one who fulfills all of this, and Jesus is the one that the scriptures tell us came to this world because God so loved the world that he gave his son, who became one of us, who moved into the neighborhood, and who loves very specifically. You see, one of the dangers of our, of our world is that we would love, we, we can just be deceived. God doesn't just love generally, and we can just begin to think that I love the world, you love the world, of course we do, that's just the polite thing to say, the Christian thing to say, but you actually have to know people's names to love them specifically. And so do you know your neighbor's names? Do you know your coworkers' names? Do you know the people on your kids' sports teams or wherever you do life? And then are you asking God to help you understand the needs in their life? as your relationships grow deeper. So we pray first, we offer invitations to relationship, and as God opens doors in those relationships, we seek to understand the needs around us, the brokenness around us, the hurt around us, the questions around us, the longings around us, the thirst. Listen, people are thirsty. People are thirsty for the presence of God. It's what we've all been created to know, and so many people are living without it. So don't just stay on cruise control and stay on surface level, but take a risk and try to go deeper and invite the Holy Spirit to, to use you. And then as he unveils and you understand, you understand need in people's lives, he'll give you the ability to respond with word and deed, to respond with the words that change people's reality, to respond with, with caring, loving acts and deeds that Bring life to be the presence of Jesus right where you live, work, study, and play. This is what God has created us and sent us on mission into the world to do. It's what he's calling us to do, to not just love generally, but to love a messy world and to love it well. To love your neighbors, even the annoying ones even the ones that are difficult to love. Because you know what? Jesus came to a messy world. It's messy. And not everybody's gonna be open to the work of the Spirit in their lives, but that's not your responsibility. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But will you extend his grace? How are you letting the river flow through you? As we close today, our kids are gonna come in here and we're gonna pray that blessing over them. But it starts with you and me receiving the grace of God Receiving his grace, maybe for you, it's, you know, it's a season where you say, you know what, I, I feel a lot more like, my life is much more like the dry bones in the valley and I need God to breathe his breath of life in me first. You just say that to God right now as we respond. Or maybe for you, you know, you, you know the grace of God, you've walked in this Christian faith for a while, but you're kind of on autopilot, and this is a season where you need to go deeper, and you know that, and you just invite God to, to flow out of you, knowing that his river of life will flow from you, and, and the Dead Sea will become teeming with, with living creatures. Let's pray. 
God, we pray that. We pray that salvation would come today. Salvation is not just a transaction, but salvation is healing. Salvation is hope. Salvation means that we can walk in victory because you have defeated the powers of evil in this world. And there, there will be a day, Lord, this, this image of a place where your presence is with your people and flowing out of the temple is your blessing to the whole world. This is an image of the things to come. And God, it's what we long for in our relationships, in those relationships that we, we wish we could make right, in those places where we know we need forgiveness, where we've hurt other people. God, for those dreams that have been shattered, when we find ourselves sitting on the wrong bank, wondering what went wrong, Lord, root us deeply in you. Help us, even in the pain, even in the hurt, to turn to you and to find healing. And that's what I pray right now, Lord, for anybody in this room that's walking through a time of trial or a time where they're questioning God, they're questioning you, God, that you would draw near in your spirit in some mysterious way, we just know that you're with us, that you would remind us of the ways you have been, that your grace would flood our hearts right now. You can just pray and ask Jesus to come into your life, maybe for the first time right now, just to turn from your ways of rebellion and to turn to him. Ask him to breathe life on dead bones. Ask him to fill you with that water, that living water, wherever you are. And he'll meet you because he loves you specifically. Invite him to be everything that you live for and to pour blessing out through you. God, that's what we pray, that you'd help us to walk in the fullness of your grace, your saving work. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. We are so grateful that you joined us today and invite you to visit us online at foundrychurch.org for more information on how you can worship, serve, and get connected with us.